Hi everybody, this is uh, Aaron Percival, or as you may know me, Corporal Hicks, and you're listening to the 13th episode of the AVP Galaxy podcast. Um, today we've got a uh, special guest, we've got um, Tim Levin, the author of the new Aliens novel. Uh, thanks for joining us, Tim. Thanks for having me, it's a pleasure. Well, you're here to talk about your new book, but uh-huh. I suppose, you know, before we get into that, let's, let's talk a little bit about you. I mean, when, when did you first decide to get into writing? Um, well, I'm, uh, it, it, it would take the whole hour to talk about that. The point of history is that I'm, I'm 44 now. I've been making a living writing for about seven years. Before that, I was, um, part-time in, in my main job and part-time writing for another six or seven years. Um, I've written ever since I was a kid. I've had, uh, I think I've had something like 30 novels published now and hundreds of short stories and novellas. I've written some screenplays and I've done some, had quite a few things optioned. Nothing made yet. You wouldn't have seen anything of mine on the big screen as yet, but we always live in hope. Um, and I've, um, you know, I started off writing all my own, my own original novels, uh, which I still do. And, and that's still the big part of it for, for me. But then I got into some tie in work a few years back when I wrote a couple of Hellboy novels. Um, and then I did a couple of movie novelizations for Cabin in the Woods and 30 Days of Night. Now, uh, the Alien novel, which, um, and out of all the tie-in, all the tie-in things I've done, the Alien novel is something I've wanted to do for, you know, longer, more than most. So it's quite exciting. That's a potted history. The longer version you can find on my website. <laughs> I was about to say, you didn't seem like you'd done, you know, too much in terms of adaptions and tie-ins. It seemed like you'd done more original stuff. Um, yeah. So, you know, I was, I was wondering what, what was it about Aliens that made you, you know, made you want to write for an established license? Well, this particular established license. Yeah, well, I'm a massive Alien fan. I mean, I I love the movies. Um, always have always have loved them, and and I think Aliens itself is probably I'd have to put down as my favourite film of all time. I think I still think it stands up well, really now, really well now. Mm. And uh, just a while back, when uh, probably seven or eight years ago, when Dark Horse were doing some Alien novels, I I had an idea that I pitched to them, and then they sort of stopped doing it, and that idea languished in my in my files it doesn't actually it's not that idea that i've written this time it's, it's something a bit different uh but even even before i was doing tie-in work the alien if i thought to myself if i ever start doing tie-in work i'd love to do alien um and like i said I, i've done uh six or seven tie-in novels now i guess and and but this is this is a good one this is one i really enjoyed doing what was the one you pitched to dark horse i mean what we've got six i think releases from them so, I think so, yeah, yeah. I, I just had an idea about, um, I mean, it'll, it'll never be done now. And actually, actually, there was a bit of serendipity, but I had an idea about the Sulaco being found in deep space floating around and they, they tow it back to Earth, mm-hmm. or it's brought back to Earth. And, uh, it, and it docks at the end of the uh, space elevator that, that rises from the equator up into space. And obviously, there are aliens on board and, and stuff happens. So, it's like a, it was a bit of a chase novel, really, down through this space elevator, up, up from in orbit down towards the surface of the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, a bunch of a disparate bunch of people, some of them in it for their own ends, and some of them thinking to themselves, well, if we actually descend all the way in the space elevator with the aliens chasing us, they're going to reach Earth. So what do we do? And coincidentally, I'm looking at this novel, uh, this the graphic novel now called Fast Track to Heaven by yeah. a mate of mine, Liam Sharp. I was just Liam. thinking about that. That's right. And we had the same, we had a very similar idea. Um, I met Liam, uh, 
two or three years ago at a British fantasy convention and then we hit it off straight away. We, you know, we got on really well and we talked about stuff we'd done and, uh, it just, you know, it became apparent we'd had some, something of a similar idea about Alien and, and he got to do it and I didn't, unfortunately, but I've, you know, I've since done the novel, so it's, it's all good. We got on really well because we look very much alike. Anyone visit my Facebook page and Liam's Facebook page and we could be brothers, except he's a bit bigger than me. He's um, got more tattoos as well. <laughs> yeah, a lot of sci-fi <laughs> people, horror people, tend to be tattooed up. I've noticed that. Have you seen some of the cool alien and predator ones that they tend to? Uh... I haven't actually. No, I should, uh, I should have a little look. I've only got, um, I've got one tattoo. It's just like a, one of these tribal things on your arm. I'm, mm. I've actually, I'm booked in to get another tattoo the week after next, actually. I've just done, um, it's nothing to do with horror or fantasy. I've just done my first Iron Man triathlon, so I'm getting a, I'm getting an Iron Man tattoo. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that one. Um, how, how did that go? Great. It was brilliant. Yeah, really good. It was a culmination of a year's training and, uh, you know, I, I dreamt of finishing it for months and months and months and months and it was, it all went well on the day. So I did it in, um, yeah, 14 hours and 12 minutes, which I'm dead happy with. Not quite world record standards, but, you know, I think 20, the world record. Was it 25k? Hmm? No, it's it's 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then a marathon. Did you manage to raise the what was it a grand and a half you're after? Uh, I got something. Uh, yeah, it's approaching seven, eighteen hundred quid now. I think I raised, which is which is good. Mm-hmm. Always nice to do it for charity. But it was a you know purely personal personal challenge to to actually get there. You know, be one of the few people I know who've done an Ironman, so it was good. All good. And, you know, I sit behind a desk all day writing, so something to keep me fit. So it's become, did become a bit of an obsession, I must admit, but I'm going to carry on doing them now. Bit of a change of pace, I suppose. Oh, totally, yeah, 100 miles an hour. <laughs> um, so, yeah, horror and sci-fi. Um, Alien tends to be one of those films you don't forget. When you know, when, when was your first encounter with our favourite extraterrestrial? Ooh, I'm um, trying to think how old I was when I first saw it. I think my mum probably showed it to me when I was... Maybe when I was 12 or 13, she was quite open-minded, my mum, and, uh, you know, she actually got me into horror by giving me, uh, James Herbert's novel, The Rats to Read, when I was about 10. And, you know, you shouldn't be giving 10-year-olds that book to read, let's face it. Didn't do me any harm. But, um, yeah, I think 12 or 13, I guess. Um, I can remember seeing Aliens for the first time in the cinema with a bunch of friends from school. Uh, so I suppose I was 17, 16 or 17 then. It was at the time when they still had intermissions in the cinema. So the, so the bit just after the dropship's being brought down, or no, just after the dropship, um, crashes, you know, takes off to yeah. take them off. The aliens are on board and it crashes and then they're in the, um, in the control center and the blind, the shutters are coming down. That's when the intermission happens and I can still remember that. However many years later. <laughs> still, like I said earlier, still a favorite movie of mine. Well, you won't be writing the book otherwise. I'd hope. No, yeah. um, you know, it, we don't actually know anything really about the book. We've only had a sort of brief synopsis that is, is on all the mm. retail websites. Um, I was hoping you could, you know, dish a little bit of dirt about the plot of the book. What, what, what are we expecting yeah. to read? Well, I've been told not that not to reveal too much, but obviously, um, yeah. So it's uh, the sort of background idea came from somebody at Fox, actually. Uh, um, an idea for a new trilogy of novels and it's actually going to be three books um, I've written this one the next two are going to be written by James A. Moore and Christopher Golden they're all linked it's not it's not a traditional trilogy but they're linked 
in uh, sort of theme and it's sort of exploring the background more of Wayland Yutani and their scheming and their reach across the years, as it were. My novel takes place and I was thrilled to be able to write a Ripley novel. So I get to write Ripley, which is great. It takes place between Alien and Aliens. And I suppose the best way, the best sort of one line pitch is that for the 57 years she was adrift, she wasn't always asleep. So stuff happens between when she's set adrift at the end of Alien in the lifeboat, in the shuttle, and when she's um, rescued by the salvage team in Aliens. Right, okay, so we'll be seeing some uh, unknown history. Yes, pretty much, yeah, very very much unknown history, which expands on, you know, expands on the Wayland yutani uh, scheming and their, their sort of conspiracy. Uh, and also features, probably not given too much away to say it also features... Um, you know, the android that everyone loves, Ash, is in the book as well. Okay, cool. not, not Obviously not in his um, previous form. Mm. He was wasted, but uh, he's, his his uh, AI consciousness returns. So, Okay, interesting. It's, it's lots of fun. It's um, I sort of uh, pitch it as a cross between Alien and Aliens. It's got the, the sort of the paranoia and the, um, you know, claustrophobia, but it's also got some good action set pieces as well. So, with with it being set between the first two films, did the yeah. tight window in the timeline give you any challenges? Um, well, I, I was sort of, uh, you know, that the adventure Ripley undergoes could have happened at any point between the end of Alien and the beginning of Aliens, really. So, um, also I had to I had to make things at the end ties in well enough with the following two novels which I, I shouldn't say too much about because hopefully, you know, you'll get Jim and Chris on the, on the show as well to talk about, talk about their novels when, when they're um, in the process of getting published. So it, it was a challenge. There were lots of challenges, as you know, I, th- I think um, more so with the alien universe than other universes. There's, there's lots of stuff being written about them. There's been comics and games. You know, we, we talked a lot with the editor about what we could do and what we couldn't do. But we were told from the very beginning, this idea comes from Fox. It's, you know, these books are canon. They're, they're integral parts of the alien universe. All right. So Fox have actually officially stated these are canon, not expanded. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They seem to be taking a bit more hands-on approach with stuff. You know what, with, um, well, opinion, notwithstanding Clone and Marines. And, yeah. Um, you know, them saying that that. Well, Gearbox said they said um, that Fox said it was it was canon. So you know they'd never traditionally gone you know gone on record as doing that. Right. Yeah. So um, which again, I suppose that leads me on to another sort of question I had, which was um, you know, did you take any of the other novels or comics into account when you were doing the book, or is it is it more the start of its own continuity within you know within the Alien franchise? Actual. Um, yeah, it's sort of the start of its own story, really. My my novel. I think out of the three, I, I was probably the luckiest with the story I wanted to tell. It, it's pretty much standalone. The only outside influence you've got is um, is Ripley being in it, and Ash. Uh, Ash's consciousness is, is not given too much away to say that he, he implanted some of his AI consciousness in, in the shuttle in case things went wrong on the ship, on the Nostromo. So um, I, I found it fairly easy. It's a self-contained story. It's It's set on another another ship and another planet community. So there, there wasn't too much I had to tie in, really. 
there's obviously historical, lots of historical references to Wayland Yutani and stuff they've done and stuff they've done since uh, Ripley's, you know, uh, went into cryosleep at the end of Alien. So that was quite interesting, looking more into the Wayland Yutani background. It it Um, does, it does seem that, you know, the corporations seems to have a bit of a big part in your novel. Is it it sort of, I know it seems, something about it seems to hint at the sneaky goings on and, you know, the shady, activities mm-hmm. that the corporation take under the public front i mean does does that play any sort of part in it is, is it? it it does in in that it's um it's actually a contained novel there's there's um there's not there's not outside influence in the novel ash is the main wayland yutani influence in the book but you know the intention i i sort of i think developed ash as a character which is a bit strange considering he's an android but you know developed his his purpose and why he was put on in the Nostromo in the beginning and why he persists many years later after having his physical self destroyed. He's still there and he's still on his mission. You get to play about with this artificial character yeah. and, the, and the workings of him. Yeah, which I find really interesting because he's, he's you know, in, in my book, he's just a consciousness now. He's not, um, he's a he's a program, you know, he, but he's still conscious. It's still artificial scheme and plan and, and steer events, which is good fun. Sometimes I think the you know the the robotic characters tend to be more fun. I mean, David was the best character in Prometheus, and you know, David yeah. was always fascinating in Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. I robot, I really enjoyed the, the novel and mm. you know, look, looking at how uh, Asimov envisioned you know artificial people evolving. So you know that that kind of stuff always seems like it's fun for fun for authors to play with. Yeah, um, yeah, it is, it is good. It's you know you're getting to to play around with looking into what it is to be human, which is what authors do anyway. But with an AI to sort of project that onto, you can pick and choose certain aspects that you want to exaggerate or, or you know, explore in more depth. And, and speaking of David, um, you know, with Prometheus being a sort of loose tie into aliens, does yeah. does that play any part in the novel? Did that influence out, uh, you know, out of the shadows? There's a uh without wanting to again you know is i've got to be careful about what i say because i don't want to spoil the book for people and there there is a a slight in um a slight reference to prometheus in the novel Mm. and that's all i should say really it's it's not like um you know oh my god you're going to be amazed it's just a there's a, a subtle a subtle um aspect to my novel that that is the people the fans of prometheus will recognize and, and which worked really well, actually, which um, because uh, I've heard some conversation about Prometheus saying, well, if it's a prequel, um, how come the technology on the ship is so much better than the technology on the Stromo? Yeah. And and obviously the, the answer is, I mean, whether you're a fan of Prometheus or not, the, the answer is that the ship in Prometheus was built by a multi multi billionaire trillion, a trillion dollar mission, as I think they said in the film. And, and whereas the ship in Nostromo is a, is a you know commercial vehicle, it's a used it's, um, and battered space tug, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's an oil oil tanker in space or you know similar sort of thing, as opposed to a luxury yacht. So, well, speaking of Prometheus, you know, as a fan of the Alien series, what what did you think of the film? Um, I think it looks beautiful, and uh, I think it was daring and and clever in many respects. But I'm I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I think it, it could have been the opportunity was there to make it much more of a relevant alien prequel. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think it's one of these films that people are going to talk about for a very long time. Oh, definitely. And whether whether it divides opinion or whether people start to think, actually, you know, I watched it. Uh, I have watched it twice now. I watched it the first time in the cinema and then we bought it on DVD and I watched it again. I enjoyed it a lot more the second time round, I think. Mm-hmm. I think partly uh, that was because I, I wasn't weighted down by expectation. You know, I went yeah. to the cinema. I thought, oh, this is an alien prequel. It's going to be awesome. But it was very obviously steered away from being a traditional prequel type film, you know. Yeah, I, I, I think that was one of the biggest issues with it. They wanted it so desperately not to be too much yeah. alien, but yeah, yeah. still alien. Yeah, there was a big alien fan. I went to watch it with this, these huge, huge expectations, which initially, in my mind, weren't weren't paid off. But you know, you view it again as a standalone film, and it's it's quite a it's a really clever film, I think, uh, and quite deep. You know, there's lots. He says a lot in the in that movie that gets you thinking for sure. I think David in that, in Baz Bender's performance is probably one of my favourite moments, you know. He's brilliant, yeah. I mean, the, the guy is brilliant in anything he's in, but he was he was just superb in that. Some great touches. <laughs> I'd be interested to know how many of the touches were his, actually. Mm. You know, Lawrence of Arabia or whatever, whether that was just his idea or whether it was all completely scripted, I don't know. It was quite clever. I don't, I don't think you'll ever be able to beat Magneto, though, that moment in Argentina. Oh yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So, what what sort of preparation did you do before writing Out of the Shadows? Well, I had the the rough brief from Fox, which for my book was pretty much uh, half a page long, with a couple of ideas and a couple of sort of aspects Fox wanted to see in the book. And then I just came up with what I thought would be a really really great Ripley story. Uh, bashed it back and forth with the editor a few times. So so each time I'd sort of sent. I wrote probably an eight or nine page proposal, sent it to my editor. He sent it to Fox. Fox came back with one or two comments, but generally they, they really liked it. And then that was it. Once the proposal was approved, I went away and wrote the book. Mm. And then once the book was written, obviously they go through the editorial process. So my editor took a look at it first, sent it to Fox. They came back with, oh, they had one or two little tweaks for me to do. Uh, nothing major. Everyone seemed to really like it. And I, massive massive amount of fun writing it it was just such a pleasure i mean these some of these work for hires sometimes don't feel like your own book you try and make them as much of your own work as you can but you're you, you're always conscious you're playing in somebody else's universe mm-hmm. i think the two i've enjoyed most are the star wars novel i wrote which i had massive amount of fun with the it was in the star wars universe and this one because it's exactly the sort of book i'd want to read and the sort of movie i'd want to see so yeah i had great fun with it well, so, so you say it's um, you know you say it's a Ripley story. Um, yeah. She had <laughs> she had um, featured briefly in in some other older stories. I think um, were you were you aware of those? No, I wasn't. To be honest, it's uh, as happened with Star Wars. I'm I'm becoming more aware now that there's lots of alien stuff I haven't seen and read. You know, there's, I, I haven't read many of the comics. I haven't played the games. So as well, you know, I'm I'm saying I'm a big alien fan. I'm a big fan of the movies. I've not I've not explored the expanded universe much. Yeah, I think that tends to uh, take more a different kind of fan, I suppose. I mean, even in like our yeah. community, mm. you know, it, it's still split like that. On on our staff, um, our big head boss, um, he's not into um, he's not into the books and stuff. Whereas I've always been eager to you know read up all these extra bits and bobs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Richard, I, I suppose that's that's, a, that's another thing. Um, 
you know, there, there are lots of books, there are lots of comics, and for a lot of us fans that, that do read them, one of our biggest concerns tends to be how, you know, how the world's portrayed, how the aliens portrayed. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's a trend where they're just sort of dumb creatures that are throwing themselves into bullets mm. and this, you know, over portrayal of them being insect-like dumb bugs, you know, because, because of people yeah. taking the scene in aliens and just throwing it out there and, and, and you know, going bigger with that. I mean, there was, there was one book where there was a guy actually beating an alien up, um, with his fists. Mm. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of wanted to ask you how, you portrayed your aliens. I mean, I'm assuming there is any. I'm, you know, I, I, would, I would have thought so, but with, with it being there this... are aliens in the okay. Yeah. So, so how, how you know when, when you wrote your aliens, how did you think to portray them? What what was your vi- vision of how the aliens behaved? And well, they're they're purely the the enemy in my book. I've not I've not written from their point of view, as it were. They're the problem that Ripley and the other people she comes across have to get past. So. I do portray them as intelligent to an extent, but intelligent in the way that, like, their velociraptors are in, in Jurassic Park, for instance. They'll hunt together, they communicate, mm-hmm. but they're not they're not sitting down playing chess or stuff like that. No, they're they're exactly what was um, conceived for the first movie. They're they're sharks in the white sharks in space, you know, except they hunt in packs. Yeah. Well, so, so, so you're saying you know you're, you're basing that on sort of how it was portrayed in Alien, that kind of intelligence. Yeah, alien and aliens, really. I, I, um, I think it's difficult taking something like this and trying to, for instance, create a alien community or an alien. Um, there's obviously a hierarchy which you see in aliens, but they, but they do, you know, that traditional aliens appear in my novel, but there are also other sort of hybrid creatures as well, which I won't say too much more about. But there's not there. There are some new types of aliens that we get to see as well. Okay. So as, as in alien aliens, or do you include in other different species as um, well? As in, as in sort of alien-type aliens okay. that, that have originated in other species, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Okay. You know, in Alien 3, you get the dog alien because it's yeah. born of a dog, that sort of thing. So there, there are aliens that have been birthed from humans, which are the sort of aliens we've, we've used to seeing in Alien and Aliens. Mm. But there are, there are also aliens as in the aliens we love, not just ETs, aliens that were birthed by other species of extraterrestrial. Okay. So so we we do get a little look at um, a sort of a wider universe perspective as well. well that's cool, because that, that's not something that's, you know, ever really been, ever really been done. I mean, you you know, in the, in the film-wise, you only sort of get to play with the space jockeys, engineers as they're yeah. known, and a couple of mm-hmm. the, a couple of the other books tried to branch out a little bit, but, you know, it was never too too much, so that should be interesting to read. Yeah, well, my, my thought is that if, you know, you've either got a universe with just humans and nothing else, or you've got a universe with humans and aliens and countless other other extraterrestrials, which, you know, space jockeys are part of. So I just thought it would be interesting to, to sort of look, you know, discover another sort, another type of ET. <laughs> Although not E, the, because there'd be a copyright problem there. <laughs> but interesting to see being born of E.T., wouldn't it? I think that would be very ugly, short. It would, would it be as friendly? Yeah. <laughs> as um, friendly. Well, you know, I don't think he'd be trying to phone home, I think he'd be trying to slaughter you, but you know. <laughs> um, 
Um, how how long were you working on the book? Um, so obviously you finished it now and everything, right? Yeah, it's all it's all wrapped up. It's ready to go. I think it's out. Um, I think it's early next year, I believe. Well, you know, the, from conception to end of editorial process, probably six months, I guess, six to eight months. But actually sitting down writing the book, I think I did it in about three months, which for a book this length, when it's well planned out, is is um, probably sort of pretty standard, three to four months to write a novel. You know, it would be nice to... Well, I don't know if it would. I, I, I have discussions about this with other writers saying, oh, I'd love to take two years to write a novel, but I really don't think I ever could. Partly, you know, I've, I've become used to working quickly. It's just the way I worked and, and always have. But it's partly, you know, I make a living doing this. So um, if, if I was paid half a million quid for every novel, then it'd be quite nice to, quite possible to spend two or three years or four or five years writing a book. But uh, I suppose it's pretty standard if your name's George R. R. Martin, though. But I, I honestly don't think I could write that slowly. You know, a couple of hundred words a day, it would just feel so unnatural. <laughs> once I get into the book, you know, I'll, I'll, once, like, a, with, with this novel, once I was getting towards the end of it, I wrote quicker because I wanted to see what happened at the end. And that's, that's what I feel every time I'm writing a novel. I never know exactly what's going to happen. Usually I know roughly who's going to survive and who isn't. But that was, that was an exciting thing with this book. There's quite a cast of characters in this book when it starts, you know? Yeah, you can, you'll you'll flag up that some of them are red shirts and they're gonna they're gonna bite it quite quickly. But there's there's um, had fun creating a whole new new cast of characters. Right. So I suppose that that's you know you you say how much you enjoy that was one of the other things I was going to ask. What what was your favourite thing about writing the book? You know, without telling us too much, is it the characters, uh, specific character, specific plotline? Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed writing Ripley because she's an established character. I enjoyed exploring her character a little bit more and trying to trying to flesh her out a bit and I liked enjoyed being in her head because you you know you've seen her in all these films you and Sigourney Weaver just did such a fantastic job of bringing her to life but in a movie you don't get inside the character's head and and I enjoyed that was good fun doing that and also you know the thing I love about writing any book like this is is writing the characters and their reactions and how people react differently to certain situations so it's always nice making creating new characters and how, and certainly two or three of the main characters, how they interacted with Ripley um, was great fun. I could have, I could have written pages of them sitting around talking about stuff, but you know, it's a, it's an action novel and it need, needed to be, it's quite fast moving and quite kinetic. Okay. So um, I enjoyed writing the action scenes as well. Alien mayhem, always good fun. Yes, that's true. That, you know, that's what we read for as well. Um <laughs> So, you know, sort of going back to what you were saying, you know, before I changed the topic, um, you know, how planned out do these, these books tend to be? I mean, you know, what's, what's a typical plan for you? It differs with me from book to book. Sometimes if I'm writing one of my own novels, I'll start with a couple of pages of notes. I'm writing a novel at the moment, which is sort of, um, it's called Endure and it's a thriller, sort of action thriller based a lot around the sport, sort of sporting stuff I do, endurance sports. You know, hill marathons, mountain marathons, and iron ironmans and stuff like that. Um, and that I started from a, two or three pages of notes. And as as I work through the novel, I'm writing more notes all the time. With something like Alien and Star Wars, you have to have a proposal approved by the uh, publisher and and the licensee as well. So it's a more of an in-depth proposal. I think Alien uh, probably, you know, probably did an eight or ten page pitch. 
does mean to say you can't veer from it when you start writing, which you inevitably do. And and as long as you don't go too far away, then the publisher's usually happy with it. Because sometimes you, you'll start writing from a proposal and the story will take over and you'll realise, oh, actually, that's a silly, you know, that, that idea I had is a bit silly. It doesn't fit because the characters wouldn't do that. They do something else. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've never been one to plan in great depth and I try and avoid it at all costs. <laughs> but when you have to, to get your, um, get your publisher's approval and licensee's approval, then it's, it's still just an outline, really. Right. Story takes over. Okay. Um, so, so you were saying earlier that this, this book is the start of a new trilogy. Did you have too much to do with, you know, with the other authors when, when you were working it, um, when you were writing it, trying to, you know, keep, keep that connectivity there? Um, yeah, we talked, we talked in quite a bit of detail when I was doing my proposal, where we, where we chatted, first of all, Chris and Jim and I are good friends anyway, so we'll, we'll talk anyway. But we, we chatted about how we're going to approach the books and there are certain ways that my novel link into Jim's and his, uh, you know, and both of them together link into Chris's. They're all sort of in, interconnected in, in certain aspects and to certain extents. So we had to talk about it in some detail, but not, you know, we didn't impose any any restrictions on each other, really. I've mine was the first one written, and I guess I'm 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 probably the lucky one in that regard. Jim had to read mine in quite detail before he wrote his, because the link between the two is quite uh, in depth, or the sort of locational link. Try not to say too much. Mm. It's quite um quite in depth. So anything like this, you need to know what what's going on with the other with the other writers. But it wasn't. It's not like um, <clears throat> it's not a traditional trilogy as such uh it's based in the same universe obviously and and the events of one book echo through another book but it doesn't mean to say that you're going to meet the same characters or the same uh you know same geography or anything okay so you you overly aware of what happens in the other ones or is this sort of you know Uh, when you're done i I do know roughly what happens yeah yeah i can't say too much that's that's up for jim and chris i know i know i know what they're you know, the, uh, the Fox's proposal was for all three books, and we've all read the proposal for all three. But but their brief, Fox's brief, was literally brief. It was two or three pages, a couple of ideas about where the novels could go, and we, we had to flesh those out. Do you have any sort of idea what made them want to do this? I mean, you know, it, Alien's probably not been particularly lively franchise lately. You know, Clone and Marines bombed. Um, Prometheus was sort of love it, hate it. The AVP films were pants yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you know what what made them want to do this was was that part of your discussions with with fox at all or i didn't chat directly with people at fox uh, that was all, all through the editor so i'm, I'm not sure why uh, i think maybe it was just an idea that was hanging around for a little while and then fox and titan got together and said well actually we can do this so it all um sort of came together nicely at the same time and it, it's good as i said chris and Jim and I know each other well anyway, so it's nice that you get three writers who know each other doing doing the job. It's always going to be easier. Okay. Um, something I'm curious about with this involving an un you know unknown history with Ripley, how how do you sort of handle situations? I mean, because it's it's a common thing to happen in you know in expanded media. How do yeah. you tend to handle the sort of fact that it was not addressed later on in the in the in the films? Yeah. You have to read the novel. <laughs> Fair enough. Say too, yeah, I can't say. I, it'd be difficult to say too much about that, really. 
So, so, so you, you're aware of the, you know, the issue and you handle it. Oh, of course, it. yeah. I mean, I mean, the stuff that happens to her in my novel isn't referred to in Aliens. So, you know, I had to come up. There's a way that, that explains that. That's good to know. And I, I, I know that would have been, you know, something people would have been wondering. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, I'd never, because it is canon, I, I couldn't just tear her away and do another adventure and... and have it ignored and know that it was ignored in the future. You can't do that. That's clumsy and unfair, and it's it's a trick. Okay. It was addressed. It is addressed in the book. Okay, cracking. I know people will be happy to hear that. Yeah, you'll have to read that. Um, <laughs> so, is there any chance we'll see you coming back? I mean, you sound like you had fun working on it. Um, yeah. And, and, and I know you just said that there's only got the three planned, but, you know, if mm. they were to do any more, would you want to come back and play again? Yeah, I'd love to. I had great fun doing it. I have no idea what what the intentions are with Fox and Titan. I'd, I'd like to think, you know, let's hope these books are a success and people like them and welcome them and and they and they seed some more. So, he just in the world of publishing, you just can't tell. I mean, I, I did have good fun doing it. Just have to see. Uh, you know, for any sort of budding writers out there, is there any sort of advice you'd you know like to give somebody in, in how to get you know published? Well, yeah, keep writing, write as much as you can, learn from learn from rejections. You gotta feel confident in yourself and don't get downheartened. It takes you know, um <laughs> there are no overnight successes. Or if there are if there are overnight successes, they've probably been writing for fifteen years beforehand. N- not many people write the first novel and get it published a wide acclaim. Okay. I I still write novels that themselves very well and lots of people do and uh you just plod on at it um you got to learn you know read an awful lot learn your arts and, and discover your own voice and that discovering your own voice comes from writing an awful lot of stuff i'm still i'm still learning and i like to think you know i'm in my 40s now and i like to think that every novel i write is my best and i like to think that i'm still learning uh with everything that i write and if it, i think if it ever if ever felt to me that I was just churning another book out oh well this isn't as good as the last one but it'll do then I'd stop you know you can't you can't work like that mm. it's an ongoing learning process that will last your whole life but as, as you know going back a bit about getting published that's it's not something you, you can give advice about really it's just learn learn the market and try and hook up with a decent agent and sometimes just being in the right place at the right time knowing knowing what's going on okay thank you for that it's a, that's the game, no problem. A, a suggestion, uh, you know, um, what sort of stuff um, influences you as a writer? I mean, is, is there any other particular work that, you know, you sort of feel affects you, you know, you pull upon? Well, I think I think most writers are influenced, you know, by pretty much everything they read to an extent, whether it's, uh, whether they read something that doesn't work for them and they want to steer away from or whether... You know, sometimes I read a book and think, oh, that is so good, why am I even bothering? Other times I read a book and think, that's, that's crap, I can do a lot better than that. And both both types of novel influence you, I think. Early influences, I'd sort of say there was a writer called Willard Price who wrote a load of adventure novels that I read when I was a kid. And then Stephen King was, and still is, you know, a huge influence. I think he's a, he's a legend bloke. My favourite novel, he probably wouldn't like to hear it, I still think my favourite novel of his is The Stand which is something he wrote an awful long time ago now. And that's probably because I love uh, I love apocalyptic fiction and destroying the world in books. And I've actually, I totted up 
before I had a novel called Cold published last year. Before that, I killed about 30 billion people by destroying the world so many times. But in Coldbrook, I destroy multiverses. So I, the, the amount of people I've actually killed an infinite number of people in my fiction there, which is just not many people can claim that. I don't think it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love, uh, you know, one of my favourite is The Road by Cormac McCarthy, which is just so devastatingly shattering the the film and the book. But I just I love stuff like that because it makes you put the book down, look around, and feel pretty good. So happy to be alive right now. Yeah. <laughs> Before we sign off, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, no. I just hope uh, I hope everyone's pleased that there's there's a whole new trilogy of alien novels coming out, and I hope you embrace them and enjoy them and read them and you know and get back to us and let us know what you think. Which? And let the publishers know what you think, because, you know, it would be, be lovely to see a whole new line. That would be fun. I'd, lo- I'd love a new good line. Um, yeah. And, you know, you're, you're on Twitter and Facebook, aren't you? So people can sort of follow you and get in touch when they've, when they've read. Yeah, yeah. I've my, 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 got a website, timlevin.net, that I need to update a bit more. Um, nowadays, it's sort of Facebook and Twitter seem to have taken over. I'm not that active on Twitter, but my Facebook page, is, I, I update quite often. It's mostly Iron Man stuff at the moment, to be honest. But you know, a lot of my my book stuff goes on there as well. There you are, folks. You know, uh, follow him and uh, keep up to date with Aliens. And let him know what you think when uh, you know when we get there in a was it two months time? Um, I think uh, I, I think it's out early next year or maybe late this year. I'm not sure. I'll I'll post updates of publication dates as and when as well. Okay. Well, once again, Tim, thank okay. you very much for uh, joining me today. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Indeed. Thank you. And um, you know, to everybody listening, um, you know, feel free to also follow us on Facebook and Twitter if you're not already. Links are on the website. And uh, you know, have a listen to our past podcast if this is your first one, if you're only on here to listen to Tim at the minute. You know, then there's the future ones as well. We've got plenty planned and uh, plenty of fun stuff coming up. So thank you very much, everybody. This is Aaron Percival, signing off. <laughs>